At this time, KCICFM invites you to join us for our weekly live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church. We're in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 28. 2 Chronicles, chapter 28. Ahaz, King Ahaz. Written after the captivity, the 70 years of captivity, and reminder that they are the people of God. Everything from the genealogies and the first chapters of First Chronicles through David's reign, the Davidic covenant, preparation for the temple, all those things that David did, a reminder that they are the people of God, building of the temple under Solomon. And if you have a Ryrie study Bible, it's kind of helpful to note at the beginning of the Kings on page 530 is all of the list, the list of all of the kings of Judah and Israel, and uh, Chronicles features the kings of Judah, and so those are the ones we're picking through there, and you can see we're quite a ways down on these kings. The last four of Judah, last four kings of, the, of Judah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah, they're going to go pretty quick, but uh, we are on Ahaz. He is number 14 in that list, and if you start up there with Saul... And uh, so you also have there in your, if you, if you have a Ryrie Study Bible, and I'm not trying to sell Ryrie Study Bibles, but they are good, um, you have all of the referencing, which is real helpful, and a column on how long these fellows reigned. And you're going to see here that uh, Jotham and, and his son Ahaz both reigned 16 years. So here we are, Second Chronicles chapter 28. Verse 1, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, but he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and he made also molten images for Balaam. Verse 25 of chapter 28, but in every several city of Judah he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. And so this is not a good man that we're going to look at tonight. Uh, he did not do that which was right. Matter of fact, he was so wicked. He's one of the more wicked ones of all of the kings of Judah. He and, and Manasseh that's going to come along a little later on, his grandson, uh, will be just, just horrendously wicked. And um, there's a passage in the book of Psalms chapter um, um, 7 verse 11 and it says this I was thinking of this and then the thought got away from me and then it came back and it says this in Psalm 7 11 God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day and I think that's something we forget in this day and age we don't like to think of God being angry with the wicked every day but in this passage of Scripture, there's not much, there's nothing really good to see about this man. He is just wicked from A to Z. And we're going to see the wickedness of Ahaz in his deeds, in his difference, which is going to be an interesting point, I think, and then in his direction and in his distress. Even in his time of trouble, he is a wicked man. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. I pray that you would use it tonight. Lord, may we treat it respectfully, both in the preaching and in the listening. And God, may you use it in our hearts. Lord, none of us want to be wicked. But Lord, I pray that we might learn some lessons from this man's life and learn about you and your holiness. And so I ask your help now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
This man is wicked in his deed. Take a look in the first four verses here. Well, first eight verses, but we're going to look at the first four. I just want you to see how corrupt this man is, and then we're going to see the consequences of this. But the corruption is in verses one through four. And those verses I just read, he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. The sight of the Lord... That's something we all ought to be reminded of. It keeps coming up here in the Chronicles, and I believe it's in the Kings also. The Lord's sight, how he sees things. There's a verse of Scripture in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4 and verse 13, and you should be familiar with it, but here's what it reads. Hebrews 4, 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him. And so, just a reminder, God sees everything. Matter of fact, he knows our, he knows our thoughts afar off. And uh, he sees everything that is done, both good and bad. But there's another part of God seeing in, in the sight of God. Besides him just being omniscient, knowing everything, seeing omnipresent, he sees everything it goes on in Hebrews 4.13, everything is naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And every one of us is going to have to give account of himself to God. And God even knows the heart. God looketh on the heart. And every idle word that men shall speak, they'll give account of thereof in the day of judgment. And, and everyone's going to have to give account of himself to the Lord. So you have the Lord's sight, but you also have the Lord's standard in this phrase when it says, he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And so he was corrupt in, in the Lord's perspective. And then in pattern, it goes on in chapter 28 of Chronicles and verse 1, like David his father. He was not like David his father. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, when Saul offered that sacrifice, uh, similar to uh, Uzziah's sin, when he, when he was presumptuous, he transgressed, and he couldn't wait for Samuel to get there. By the way, Samuel showed up right after he did it. Isn't that the way things go? And he went ahead and did it anyway, offered the sacrifice, transgressed into the priesthood's office. Um, God told him that he was looking for a man after his own heart, after the heart of God. Now, you know, when you were courting your, your wife, fellas, you wanted to go for her heart, right? I mean, you were after her heart. My wife brought in the other day. She says, look, dear, I bought I, we, I, something kind of funny in our house the other day. I'm just strange sometimes. So um, we got a bunch of grapefruit um, from um, Brother Rudy and we had those there, and I put them in a bowl. I had, still have a few left. I put them in a bowl, and I put uh, on the table, and I put a banana on top. And what did I see? Tell me what I saw. I saw yellow, right? So I told my wife, I said, dear, today's color is yellow. And she just looks at me like, what? <laughs> and, but we talked about it. So she says, now I'm, every time, you know, what I look at today, I'm going to be looking for yellow. Guess what she brought home at the end of the day? She had yellow daffodils on the table. She said, look, dear, I bought some yellow. And there they were the flowers. Well, I'll tell you what, daffodil, daffodils were my secret weapon. Mm -hmm. 
when I would go down to Georgia on extension, and we'd be there over the weekend preaching in the church. On the way back, there were just, in, in Georgia, around this time of year, there were daffodils just growing beside the highway. So I'd tell the fellas, pull off. I got to get some daffodils for Carrie. And I'd pull off and get some daffodils. And then I would be at the bakery on Sunday morning there because there was a little lady there at the bakery. She'd always give us preacher boys. We'd come into her bakery to buy breakfast. And she says, all right, boys, sing for your breakfast. And we'd sing for her and uh, sing some hymns and that sort of thing. And then she'd give us free donuts. Man, that was great. So I would always get my wife a a chocolate long john and, and bring her daffodils. And that's the secret, fellas. If you, young fellows, someday you want to get a wife. Nathan, you want to get a wife? Chocolate daffodils and uh, chocolate daffodils. All right. So the, the chocolate eclairs and uh, long johns and the daffodils, and that's what worked for me. So here he is in this passage of Scripture. And um, he's uh, talking about being get somebody after God's own heart and uh, trying to get trying to, to win a young lady's heart, going after her heart. You want to you love what they love, and David did. But Ahaz chose to not love anything that God loved. Isn't that the way it is? There are those who love what God loves, and there are those who don't. And they are so obvious in this world he was not like David. He was like the ways of the kings of Israel, it says in the passage of Scripture. It says, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and he made also molten images for Balaam. And we're talking about Ahab, who did more to provoke the Lord than anybody who had come before him. So his pattern, to just choose a good pattern, Paul said, be followers of me as I am of Christ. To choose a good pattern. Who's your pattern? Hey, young people, who's your pattern? Who are you following? Who do you want to be like? I mean, you can pick a good pattern or you can pick a bad one. This man picked a bad one. And then you see his propensity for evil. If you get here in verses, as we move on, verses 2 through 4, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and he made also molten images. Moreover, he burnt incense, watch what happens here, in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Wow. The son of Hinnom. To the south of Jerusalem, just off the, what used to be the city of David, and um, on that southern end is a valley. And the son of Hinnom had that as his property. That was his place. And it's a, it's a small valley. It's not real wide. And um, maybe, maybe 100, at the most, 100 yards, maybe at the most. And then it, it, it goes from the southern part of that hill, um, the city of David. It, it works its way back up to the, to the west and kind of starts turning north a little bit. And it gets sharp and steeper. There's even some places where there's some cliffs. Um, and it was in this, by the way, it was in this place, in this valley, near one of those steep places that Judas hung himself, and his body hung there until it just finally deteriorated and, and part and splattered in the, in the bottom below. Matter of fact, kind of interesting, but the high priest's house, Caiaphas's house, was right on the edge the southern end of that city of David, and that was his view. Every morning, he could go out and look and see Judas hanging there. And so, 
what an interesting place. It was called the Valley of Hinnom, and which means lamentation or sorrow and mourning, and certainly rightfully so. This valley became a, like a, a garbage place where they would dump their garbage and burn refuse, and, and it was also a place where they would offer child sacrifice to the pagan gods. And there were places they would drag dead animals out there, and it and became a place of burning, a place of defilement. It was just a horrible, horrible place. And when you get to the New Testament, and Jesus talks about it would be better to cut off your hand or pluck off your eye than to, suffer, than, than to go into hell, into Gehenna. And the word Gehenna comes from Hinnom, the valley of Hinnom. And it was, it was a, a picture that had come from this valley, and, and they used it in the New Testament as a description of hell, a place of eternal torment. Well, it's here in the valley of the son of Hinnom that he burned his children in the fire. Horrible, horrible thing. Back in the book of Leviticus in chapter 18, it says, talking about nakedness and, and not uncovering nakedness and being morally pure and covered, it says in that passage of Scripture in Leviticus 18, 20, it says, Moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. Thou shalt not let any of thy seed, I mean Leviticus 18, 21, thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. In other words, you don't offer child sacrifice where you burn these children in the fire. It goes on to talk about other perversion like homosexuality and other things. And then it says in verse 24, defile not yourselves in any of these things, for in all these things the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. That's what the Canaanites were. Those descendants of Ham, those people in Canaan, the, the, all of those Jebusites and Girgashites and Hivites and all of those different ites were there. They were wicked like this. And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity upon it. And the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that is sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done which were before you, and the land is defiled. That... The land spew not you out also when you defile it as it spewed out the nations that were before you. And so along comes Ahaz, and this is the first one to do it here in the land among the kings of Judah. And you watch what happens as we progress through the, with, with this wickedness, deportation begins to take place. And so... Um, wow. He was wicked, it, it, propensely so. It says in the passage of Scripture, verse 4, he sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. He was just wicked. So here's what happens, verse 5. You see the consequences of this wickedness. Wherefore, the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria and they smote him and carried away the great multitude of them captives. And he brought them to Damascus, and he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel. 
who smote him with a great slaughter. I mean, it's just starting to happen. God resists the proud, and here's a wicked man, just does whatever he wants, and the judgment of God comes just like he said he would. We can believe God's Word. The destruction is horrendous. There are some who'd like to discount this. I don't think we should. Verse 6, Pekah, which is the king of the north up in Israel. We're talking about Judah. Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom, part of the kingdom. Pekah is up in the north. Pekah, the son of Remaliah, slew in Judah 120,000 in one day. That'd be like the whole population of Grand Junction wiped out in one day. Which were all valiant men because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. God, we're talking about God being angry with the wicked. I mean, we see his anger coming out. Man has a choice. And Ahaz made some bad, a bad choice. Matter of fact, it doesn't stop there. Not only did the 120, not only was there deportations to, to Damascus and Syria, and, and then the slaughter by, by Pekah and the people of Israel upon the people of Judah, but Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, which is from the north, slew Messiah, the, the king's son. And not only did he kill the king's son, but he kills Azikram, the governor of the house, and Elkanah, that was next to the king, like second in charge in the kingdom. These all lost their lives. And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons and daughters, and took away much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. And with that, we're going to stop. The destruction is horrendous. The deportation is already... These people are going to be taken away now by the people from the north of Israel, in, in Israel, and they're going to take them away, and they're taking them to be slaves. 200,000, 120,000 die in battle. This is, this is horrendous. But this man is a wicked man, and you see it in his deeds, and you already see the consequences just right here in the first eight verses. But not only is he wicked in his deeds, he's wicked in difference. And this is an interesting point. Who's supposed to be the bad kingdom? Israel is. Who's supposed to be the good kingdom? Judah is. But watch what happens. Verse 9, wicked indifference. You see a rebuke and then a response. So, verse 9, a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Oded. And he went out before the host that came to Samaria and he said to them, so all of this, these armed, these men, these soldiers of Israel that have gone down and killed the 120,000, now are bringing back the 200,000 and all the spoil. And there's this prophet that goes out and confronts them and says, Behold, because the Lord God of your fathers was wroth with Judah, he hath delivered them into your hand. And you have slain them in a rage that reacheth up to heaven. And now you propose to keep under the children, to keep under the children of Judah and Jerusalem for bondmen? You're going to make them slaves and bondwomen unto you? But are there not with you, even you, sins against the Lord your God? Hear me, therefore, and deliver the captives again, which you have taken captive of your brethren, for, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. So this brave prophet, he goes out there, Oded, and he confronts them. His name, by the way, means restorer. 
which is kind of interesting in light of all of these things. And he sets things right. I mean, he preaches. He preaches a message. He says, look, God was angry with Judah, but you folks have taken it over the top. Matter of fact, your slaying of, of the 120,000, is it was such a rage, such a, a, a <coughs> terrible thing, that that, has, that rage has gone clear to heaven. There is back in the book of Genesis chapter 18, verse 21, when the Lord comes down to speak with Abraham and then go send the angels to inspect Sodom, here's what he says in Genesis 18, verse 21. God says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come up unto me, and if not, I will know. Um all of the promotion of the, the homosexual agenda, there is another side to all of this, and that is the horrendous things that are done to people. And God says the cry has gone clear up to heaven, and we're going to take care of it. And here the cry gets to heaven again with the slaughter that has taken place. And so the prophet tells them, in verse 11, he just straight out, he says, Hear me, therefore, deliver the captives again, which you've taken captive of your brethren, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. And you better, better believe it. You know, there's sometimes people laugh and mock at, when they hear about the wrath of God. And then there are places like, like Nineveh and Jonah. Forty days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. And boy, the people take heed. And they even cause the animals to fast and, as the people are fasting and praying and dressed in sackcloth. I mean, the whole city repents. Sometimes people repent when they hear about the wrath of God against their sin. Maybe some of you got saved because you knew the wrath of God against your sin. And you knew your sin was horrendous and you knew you needed a Savior. That is a good thing. Well, he gives the command. Look at the response. I love the response. If you move down now to verse 12, here's what it says. Then certain of the heads of the children of Ephraim, these are the people of the north, Azariah, the son of Jehonan, and Berechiah, the son of Meshilamoth, and Jezekiah, the son of Shalom, and Amasa, the son of Hadali, stood up against them that came from the war. These, these men stand up against the whole all of the army that is just of Israel that has just wiped out 120,000 soldiers, and they say to them, you shall not bring in the captives hither. Whereas we have offended against the Lord already, and ye attend to add more to our sins and our trespass, for our trespass is great, and there is fierce wrath against Israel. Man, you're bringing, you're bringing a lot of trouble on us. Thank God. For those people who take responsibility for, for their church, for their city, for their state, for their nation, men like Daniel, who in Daniel 9 prayed and confessed the sins of the people, and God heard him. Men like these men here that says, look, no doing it. We are not going to add to our sins. God is already going to judge us. And these voices that speak out, 
You know, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, three times it says, wherefore, having done all to stand in Ephesians chapter 5, and it, and it repeats that thing, that let's stand, let's stand for truth, let's stand for righteousness, let's stand for the gospel, let's stand for faith in His Word, and let's stand for salvation and the Word of God in prayer. Let's stand, and let's stand against sin. And here's what the people did. The soldiers, verse 14, so the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the princes and all the congregation. And the men which were expressed by name, many think it's the same fellows that were just mentioned, rose up and took the captives and with the spoil clothed all that were naked. Watch what happens here. They clothed all that were naked among them, arrayed them, shod them, gave them to eat and to drink. Watch this. And anointed them and carried all the feeble of them upon asses and brought them to Jericho, the city of palm trees, to their brethren. Then they returned to Samaria. Wow, this is fascinating. Um, there's a story in the New Testament very similar to this, and it's so close in its associations and the things that are mentioned it's almost as if the Lord Jesus, when he told the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan, that he was not thinking about this passage right here. When you go to the story in the Good Samaritan, you know, there was the priest and the Levite that just pass on their way, and here's this man left half dead by the people of Judah being brought to Samaria. And there are these Samaritan, there's a Samaritan, there are these men from Samaria who stand up and say, we've got to do something, and they go to them, and they pour in oil and wine, they, and they anoint them, they pour oil on them, and put them, it puts the man on his beast, and takes them to, to a place. It doesn't say where they take him in the in uh, where the man takes him in Luke chapter 10. But remember, the man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was the Samaritan that, that took care of him. And there's so many of these little connections, you think, wow. So the people of Israel and their compassion and their obedience are like good Samaritans to the people of Judah. Matter of fact, it's interesting. Azariah, the, the, the meaning of the names, it's almost like the stories being told all over again when you just look at the names of these men and who they were the son of. Azariah, Jehovah has helped. Jehonan, Jehovah's gracious. Berechiah, Jehovah blesses. Meshelamoth, peace a covenant of peace. Jehezekiah, Jehovah's made strong. Shalom, again, peace. Amasa, a burden. Hadliah, the rest of God. And it's like the whole story of the Good Samaritans being told over again. Israel. Israel acts here after the battle like the neighbor and the neighborly treatment. What an interesting thing. Ahaz is not like this at all. Matter of fact, you see his wicked direction in verses 16 through 19. Here we go. 16 through 19. At that time, after all of this has happened to him, Ahaz sent 
did Ahaz send unto the kings of Assyria to help him? He's going up north above Syria, north above Israel, north above Syria. He's going to Assyria, and he's asking for help against these two, these two nations that are against him, Israel and Syria. He's going now up north even farther and trying to get help from the king of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser, to come and help him against these two nations. And then it says, for again, the Edomites had come and smitten Judah and carried away captives. So from the south, he's getting trouble. He's getting trouble from the north. They've just done a great slaughter with him. And the Philistines also, those are the ones from the, from the west <coughs> and the south. They also had invaded the cities of the low country in the south of Judah and had taken Beshemesh and Agilon and, and Gederoth and Shoko and the, with the village thereof and Timnah and with its villages thereof, and, and Gimzo, and also in the villages thereof. And they dwelt there, for the Lord had brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, and he made Judah naked and transgressed sore against the Lord. And so you see this wicked direction, this man, he's leaning towards Assyria for help. Matter of fact, he says in 2 Kings, I'm not going to go there, but he says to the, to the king of Assyria, he says, I'm your servant. And he takes money out of the temple. He pillages the temple and sends a, a, a gift to the king of Assyria and says, I'm your servant, come help me. Man, that's trouble. From what we learned this morning, that's big trouble. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. Matter of fact, there is another prophet that shows up here in the midst of all of this with Ahaz, and you see him in Isaiah chapter 7. And if you've ever wondered about the context of, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, it's in the context of what happens with Ahaz, between Ahaz and Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, the Bible says this, came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, went toward, up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. I mean, they did some serious damage, but they couldn't totally destroy them. And Isaiah comes to him and he says, tell him in verse 4, take heed, be quiet, fear not. Don't worry about these two smoking firebrands, reason with Syria and the son of Remaliah. Don't worry about them. Just because they've taken counsel to come up and, and remove you from the throne and put somebody else in the place. Verse 7, thus saith the Lord, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Isaiah's telling Ahaz, don't, don't mess with Assyria. Don't go to them for help. These two nations that have come against you from Syria and, and Israel, God's going to take care of them. Don't worry about them. And um, he says at the end of verse 9, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. In other words, if you're, if you're not sure, you're not secure. Just trust God and you'll be secure. He says, now, I'm going to give you, a, God's going to give you a sign. Just ask him a sign. Ahaz says, no, I wouldn't trouble the Lord with a sign. And he says, you, you weary men, are you going to weary God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him's name Emmanuel, which means God with us, God with us. And he says, butter and honey shall he eat? that he may know to refuse evil and good and choose refuse the evil and choose the good something Ahaz has a hard time with for before the child shall know to refuse evil and choose the good 
The land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken by both her kings. Listen, don't worry about Pekah. Don't worry about reason. Don't worry about these two kings in the north. Don't be doing stuff with Assyria. They're not going to help you. God's going to give you a sign. A virgin is going to conceive. Here's a woman who's not married yet. She's going she's to conceive. She'll marry, then she'll conceive, and she'll have a son. And before that son, before that child, that child's name will be Emmanuel. Before that child is, gets to the point of accountability where they can choose between good and evil, both those two kings that you're causing you trouble are going to be gone. But the child's going to be eating, eating honey and, and uh, butter. He's not going to be eaten off the land. He's going to be eaten off the animals. Why? Because there won't be any land. The land will be devastated. Why? Because Assyria is going to come down and he's going to be like he's going to shave and he's going to shave every hair off you when he comes through. And that's the parable. It goes on through. You see in verse 17, the king of Assyria is going to come. In verse 20, he's going to shave with a razor that is hired by them beyond the river, by the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it shall, be, it shall also consume the beard. And your land's going to be devastated, and people are just going to have to live off the animals by, by butter and, and honey. That's what you're going to do. So don't be messing with Assyria, because Assyria is coming down here. going to cause you a heap of trouble if you do. Well... Back to our text, he doesn't listen. By the way, it's Emmanuel's land. You get to chapter 8, it's Emmanuel's land. It's God's land. He'll take care of it. And so you see the leading of this man. He does do business with Assyria, and he brings Assyria down and causes tremendous trouble to Israel. And then he brings tremendous trouble in Israel in verse 19. The Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he made Judah naked literally loose. That's the same word that was used that Aaron did with the people of Israel. We made the golden calves. The people were naked among their enemies. They were just loose and dancing, committing wicked sin, and just a real horrible testimony for the people of Israel. They had just become loose with their idolatrous calf worship and the wild music that was going on. And in verse 19, he made Judah naked and transgressed sore against the Lord. He is now doing this to Judah. He is acting as a leader. He is, he is encouraging people in lack of restraint. Forbid. Forbid that, that, that there is anyone that would do that in a church that would cause lack of restraint in God's church in the USA. Forbid that, that, that there would be a, a father or a mother that would do that in their home to cause a lack of restraint. Forbid that there be political officials that cause a lack of restraint in the nation. That's a horrible thing. This is a, this is a wicked man. And even in his distress, we finally see his wickedness in verses 20 to 27. He's transgressed sore against the Lord, and then Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came against him and distressed him. So the guy he gave money to to help him didn't help him at all. He came down and caused him trouble, and Isaiah told him he would. And he strengthened him not, for Ahaz took away portion out of the house of the Lord and out of the house of the king and of the princes and gave it to the king of Assyria, but he helped him not. <laughs> And in the time of his distress, he trespassed yet more against the Lord. That is the king, that is King Ahaz, just in case we lost track here. 
So he's just he, ruinous reliance. He's trusting in the king of Assyria, and the king of Assyria is not helping at all. You don't go to the world for help. They're just gonna make, it's just going to make it worse. And these churches that go to the world to get their ideas and their help, it doesn't help at all. It just makes it worse. In verse 23, for he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. So when Israel and Syria came against him and those 120,000 were wiped out and all of that, when he did that, he says, you know, those guys beat me. I'll go to Damascus and I'm going to find out who their gods are. I'm going to worship them because they helped the, the people of Syria. Isn't that stupid? Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them. Therefore, I will sacrifice to them and that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him in all Israel. Matter of fact, when he was up there, he, he went up to meet the king of Assyria who beat the Syrians. And he went up there and saw the altar of the, of the Syrians, not the Assyrians, but the Syrians up at Damascus. And he, and he got the pattern of the altar and he sent the plans back to the high priest, had the high priest make an altar just like that. He moved the brass altar out of the way and put that one in the temple. He replaced the worship of God with the worship of the God in the temple with the worship of the God of the, the people of Syria. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. And watch it. Not only does he have this ruinous reliance upon Assyria and this, this ruinous, if you will, um, he has this ruinous replacement of God. He shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. He just basically closed up the worship of Jehovah in the temple. He stole from the temple and then he shut the doors and in every several city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense unto other gods, and he provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. And the rest of his acts, of all his ways, first and last, behold, they're written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Ahaz slept with his fathers, and good riddance. They buried him in the city, and even in Jerusalem, but they brought him not into the sepulcher of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah's son reigned in his stead, and he did not have the honor of being buried with the kings because he was such a wicked person. Matter of fact, when the Assyrians came down, they took the two and a half tribes that were on the east side of the Jordan, they took them captive and, and, and dispersed them. And then it would be just six and a half later, six and a half years later, remember, before the child's old enough to decide between good and evil. It's just a few years later that Assyria comes down and deports in 722 B.C. the rest of the northern tribes. There's like six and a half tribes that get taken off in, in the whole northern part, that, that northern Israel, Pekah and his kingdom, all of that, that that Ahaz was so afraid of. In just a few years, the whole nation was gone. The Assyrians had taken them all captive and deported them and scattered them all over the place. Those who go to the world for help don't receive help, but only hasten the demise. And we see here this wicked man. Boy, there's some good lessons here. Good lessons about being a good Samaritan, about having compassion. Good lessons about uh, God in his judgment of wickedness. Father, help us. Help us to be a godly people. Help us to be a man, men and women after your heart. Lord, we would love the things you love, and we would love righteousness and justice, and we would, love, we would love purity in the Word of God. Lord, we wouldn't choose bad patterns. We'd choose good patterns and, and, and seek to do what's right, that we not bring destruction on ourselves and on our families and on our church and upon our country. God, that we might be an asset. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for joining us for our weekly live broadcast from Pear Park Baptist Church. We pray the service was a blessing to all our listeners. Our earnest prayer is that you personally have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10.13 tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to trust Christ, you must first believe that you're a sinner, deserving of God's judgment, and that Christ died to pay God's penalty for your sin, and that he rose again from the dead. Then you may, right now, pray, and according to Romans 10.13, call upon God and ask for salvation through Jesus Christ. If you've made a decision to trust Christ, let us know. The number of the offices at Pear Park Baptist Church is 434-4113. Someone's generally available to take calls during regular weekday business hours. In addition, the best means to spiritual help and growth is through faithful attendance at a Bible-believing church. We would encourage you to be at the very next service of Pear Park Baptist Church. Our weekly prayer meeting and Bible study is at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Sunday schools at 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday mornings with the worship service at 11 and at 6.30 p.m. the evening service. Pear Park Baptist Church is a fundamental Bible-preaching and Bible-believing church located here in Grand Junction at 3102 E Road. And once again, we appreciate your joining us for this live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church.